Isn't it interesting the way God uses so many of us in so many different ways to inspire and encourage uh, one another? It really is a family, and uh, there's so many of you that God has given just a unique call to and uh, wants to use you and wants to use us as God's family together to show the world who Jesus is. But the first part of this is for us to be able to see God clearly as well, too. And so I'm going to talk about this vision that we have, and you've perhaps heard the language before. It's pretty simple, to be devoted to God and to be devoted to one another with the purpose of reconciling all things, all people, uh, to, to Jesus Christ. And it comes actually right out of this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is why we want to spend some time here this morning. We hope to have a clear perspective regarding our future. And if we're going to have a clear perspective regarding our future, we will need to have a clear perspective regarding our relationships. Our relationships with God, our relationships with one another, and our relationship with the world around us. And perhaps you have seen us um, describe this um, in uh, using a triangle. Just uh, get the technology going here. There. So you've perhaps seen this before. You've seen this triangle uh, that we use in reference to what it, our God's call is for us. And we talk about up, meaning our relationship with God. And we talk about in, in reference to our relationship with one another. And we talk about out in regards to our purpose and God's call for us in the world. So I'd actually like you to take out those three by five cards or note cards that you have. And on each one of them, I'd like you to write a different word. I'd like you to write on one of them, I'd like you to write, write the word up. Or if you uh, would rather just do an arrow, uh, that might be great too. But just designate that card up. Sorry for my scribbling there, but I made a mistake and I can't correct it now. And then on the next one, I want you to write the word N, and we'll add more words to that as well, or you can do a right-leaning arrow, which we're using as a reference to our relationship with one another. And then on your third card, I'd like you to write the word out, and you can do a left-leaning arrow, which represents our call and invitation to be active in the world around us. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. So let's take out that first card and add a word to it, and you might... um, add um, the word in in regards to up. We're really talking about something that God's word describes as worship. We're we're called to to worship God, to see him so clearly that when we think about him, when we talk about him, we're actually filled with worship. Uh, We actually live a life of worship because we no longer regard Jesus Christ from a worldly point of view, just a mere mortal point of view, God, by His Spirit, has allowed us to be able to see who He really is. And there are character traits of who God is that help us to worship. And I would just invite you to pick a character trait of God that call you into, that leads you into worship. And I'm going to help you out a little bit with it. Actually, the text helps us with it a little bit too. There are three options that are mentioned in this text, and you might just pick one of them and say, for me to worship God, this is the element of God's character that matters most to me right now. And the first option is to talk about the reality that Jesus Christ forgives you, that God forgives us um, for what we have done and the choices we've made and the way have we have regarded him and the re- way we have regarded others. And it says this, he's not counting people's sin against them. That's what it says in verse 19, that God forgives us. If we saw Jesus clearly, 
we would thank him over and over again for his grace to us. He doesn't count my sins against me. And, you know, if you want to turn that card over on the back of it, just list a bunch of your sins, maybe you'd like to do that this morning. It might take all morning, right, to be able to do that. And my guess is that there are probably a couple categories of sins. There are the ones that you don't mind writing down because everybody does it. You know, I lie or I, I told a, you know, I, I, I hurt somebody's feelings or I, you know, th- that kind of a list of things because, you know, everybody does and we're kind of okay with that. And then there are the other sins that we actually don't want to write down because we're afraid the person sitting next to us will notice it. Um, it's the stuff that we actually don't want anyone to see. And so maybe you just want to put bullet points for those. Regardless of what you do and what you write down and how long the list is, this is what we know about God. All of that stuff that you wrote down, God doesn't count it against you. That's what it says. Whatever is on that list, God doesn't count those things against you. In fact, he takes responsibility for those, takes them from you. It says that he who, who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might be the righteous ones of God. You see, so that whole list, he just takes it and says, let me, let me pay the price for those things in order that you might live uh, without fault, in order, that I, in order that I look at you and there's nothing to hold against you. What an incredible thing that is, isn't it? That God has nothing he will ever hold against you. He'll never count and say, you know, once you get this one figured out, once you, once you acknowledge this one, once you repent for this one, then, then um, we're, we're, uh, we're uh, okay. And by repent, I mean just not only acknowledging it, but once you get perfect in regards to that. And yet we see here a God who says, I love you and I forgive you. And our response is, And Jesus, I will worship you forever for not counting those things against me in my relationship with you because of what Christ has done on the cross. Another category that we see here, another way we can see Jesus that would lead to worship, and that is it. he transforms us. In verse 15, it says he is our life. He becomes our life, and he he lives within us, and he changes us and grows us up. We're new creations, which means we grow and we develop and we mature. Any of you ever played uh, Super Mario Brothers? Yeah, some of you are, are kind of laughing because you have and you said, I'll never raise my hand. But uh, I haven't played it much. I'm not really great at it. Maybe I don't have patience with it, but I played it long enough to know this, that when you get little Mario jumping along and he hits the right things, he gets stronger. Is that right? He has more ability and capacity and Pretty soon, this teeny little, um, almost helpless Mario becomes this force in the game, uh, battling against whatever comes his way. He just grows up, right? Aaron Rodgers would be another example of that. That's right. And, and I didn't say it, and I didn't plant that, actually. I didn't plant that in the audience. So, so but, but God is saying that what he does in us is we start as a new creation and we grow up into Christ-likeness. And it's not a capacity to throw fireballs at the enemies in a game. It's a capacity to be able to be characterized by 
love that I didn't have before, and I find it welling up inside of me because God is at work in my life, and self-control welling up inside of me because God is at work in my life, and peace and patience and gentleness, all of those things come into my life because of my life in Christ. He is my life, and that's a reason to worship because God changes us and grows us up along the way. And then there's a third category of this, and that is that he rules over our life. He's the one that created the world. He is ruler. He is God. He is Lord. He is in charge. He is the one that sits on the throne. If I saw Jesus clearly, I would give him over and over again every part of my life, even the most important parts and pieces of my life, and that would characterize my worship. So what is it about God that gives you uh, ability to be able to worship? Is it a reminder that he forgives your sins? Is it a reminder that he grows you up into Christ-like maturity? Is it a reminder that he is the ruler and he's in charge and, and nothing, will, no, nothing will separate us from, uh, from, from him and his love and his, uh, and his attention to our life? This, this idea of worship is just such a, critical piece of it. So here's what I want you to do. One more thing on your card. I want you to write down a way that you can tomorrow worship God with the most important things in your life. Pick one of those important pieces of your life. Just figure out how you will use that important piece to worship God. You see, worship isn't just that you come in here and we sing and we feel this great surge of gratefulness to God. It's that we do it again this afternoon that we actually worship God this afternoon and then tonight. And then we get up in the morning and you and I figure out a way to worship him again, to give him first place. And the way we do that is we take the things that are most precious to us and we just give them to God. So what is it that is precious to you that you will give to God tomorrow as a means of worshiping him? I asked just a couple of people this week and they were saying things like, you know what, I want to worship God, I want to focus on Him. And, and when I get in the car on Monday morning, I, I want to turn on worship music, not the other stuff I normally listen to because it's the morning and it's the first thing that I, I, I want to think first thing about God. Others, it might be, you know what, when I get, when I get home after work, I'm going I'm to get together with my friends or my roommates and we're going to actually read Scripture together. And we're going to ask God, God, what is it you want to say in our lives? What do you want to speak into our lives so that we can worship you more clearly? Or for families to say, you know what, when we get together over mealtimes, when that works out, guess what we're going to do? We're going to do family worship together. We're going to pull out that Bible verse, Bible with all of the picture stories in it and take it out and, and tell the kids Jesus stories and God's stories and what the Bible has to say to be able to give those most important elements of our life to God and be able to do it on a regular basis. We're focused about this, on, uh, 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 on this as a church to focus upward, to, to give God first place and be characterized by worship. And you'll see, increasingly so, in the ministries of our church, this emphasis on we want to learn God's word, the application-rich parts of God, God's word in particular, so that it leads us to places of worship that we apply God's word with others over time in order that we might be those that grow into Christ-likeness. You'll see it with the small groups we're doing, the material in that, what we're talking about beginning next Sunday in the book of James and walking through that. 
uh, part of Alpha is Beta, and it's an opportunity you can see the, uh, the uh, uh, syllabus out in the foyer on 10 weeks of how to study the Bible more effectively along the way. And if you've been through Alpha, we would invite you to jump in on that as well, too. If worship isn't the outcome of the things we do, we study, we do together, then go back and start over again because that's what God wants. For it to fill us up and for us to see God clearly in such a way that our lives are, are, are like this. Because we know His forgiveness in ways we've never understood before. We see what He does in our lives. We we, we, we um, re respond to his authority. In fact, in fact, praise is necessary for us. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, look at the book of Revelation. All the best and brightest creatures in the world are worshiping him. You know, who do you want to be? Do you want to be part of the best and the brightest? Look at what the best and the brightest creatures in the world do. They worship him. In fact, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, have you ever noticed this? That malcontents praise the least. Grumpy people praise the least. Healthy people praise the most. In fact, he goes on to say, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. If I'm healthy on the inside, spiritually and many other ways, the, the, the vocal response of that is for me to be a person characterized by gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. You see, God tells us to praise him not because he needs it, it's because I do. In order for me to be the way I was intended to be, fully me the way I was made, I need to embrace God's invitation to be a person characterized by praise and worship. God gives us praise because we need it. So what will it look like on Monday morning? Think about that. And then there's another aspect of this, and that is, when we um, look in, and we can just take, uh, we just take the word in, and, and, and what does it look like for us to go in, for us to love like family? For us to love like family. For us to love our family, those of us that still have got uh, family in our lives, uh, to love those people, but we're a family as well, too. We're the family of God. We're called together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And what does it mean for us to, to focus inward and actually be family with one another? It actually talks about this here. It says that God has reconciled us to himself, and he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. And we, we will do the work of God called together as the people of God. And if you've been part of family for five minutes, you know how hard that can be sometimes. How difficult it is through the challenges of life for the people that know you best and how hard it is to be family with them. And, and it's true in church family as well too. The deeper we get into relationship with people in our small groups or the people that hear our stories and know our stories, the, the difficulty that is a part of it, but the God calls us to do those things, to, to love one another. And the word reconcile actually describes what that looks like. God wants us to be reconciled to himself. He also wants us to be reconciled to each other. What does the word mean? The word means to be friends again. There was a break. There was something going on. There was a quarrel or disharmony. And, and to walk past that and actually 
be joined back together into friendship, uh, to stop arguing and to show kindness to one another. That's what a family is intended to be, a group of people that show kindness to each other in all sorts of different ways. How can that happen? How in the world can that happen? Well, the answer is in the text. We decide to be just like God, not counting people's sins against them. You see, that how, that's how it works. You know, those things on my list that are bullet points that I don't actually want to write down because I'm afraid some of you might hear them. And that's the way we feel, right? I don't, I don't want someone to know that about me. And why is it that we feel that way? You know why it is? It's because we're afraid that someone might hold it against us. We're afraid that if somebody actually knows that that's what I did, that's what I thought, they actually might count it against us. And yet God calls us into this journey where we can take more and more of those things out in the open because we realize that we won't do that with each other. Because God gives me the capacity to hear that about your story and not hold it against you. Because God gives you the capacity to be able to hear that story about the other person in your group and not hold it against them. Do you see what happens? When God gives us the capacity to grow up into Christ-likeness and we hear those stories about you did what? And then we discover, huh, we're in a family and we don't count those things against one another. Do you see what happens? We actually become family. Oh, we can say we're family. But to be family is to strive to be family. God, give us the grace to see people as you do and to count the way you do or actually don't do. You want to get along with your brother or sister? You want to get along with your mom or dad? Here, here's what God's word says. Stop counting their sins. Stop holding it against them. And then this happens. That's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for his children. That's what he wants for you with your brother or your sister or your best friend, your mom or your dad. Then there's a third category that we, we um, want to see here. And um, that is um, for us to look outward, actually. And that is... Um, to, to love everyone, everyone around me, all of those people in the world that God has put into my life, in my school, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my extended family, in my friendship group, in, 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 in my city, to be able to love everyone, to, to look out and see other people and help them. God says to us that it's like we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal to us, we, we implore people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled with God. We, we go out into, into relationships with people that, 
that have a distorted view of God and just can't feel any sense of warmth or connection or, or worship of Him. And we say, do you want? This is what you need to know. God wants to restore His relationship with you. God wants the quarrel to be over. God wants to be in friendship and in relationship with you. And how does that happen? In order that God can be reconciled and we can be reconciled with God, we take on the same title that Jesus took on and he was described as the friend of sinners. Jesus walked out and, oh, he could see the devastation of sin. But over and over again, in the midst of people's lives devastated by sin, he came alongside in such a way that even though he could see it all, they said about him, he's the friend of sinners. And that's how God calls us to live out. If we see people clearly, we would love them because Jesus loves them. And God gives us increased capacity to be able to love them. And if we loved them, they would actually see Jesus more clearly as well. We love people that others can't manage to love because they are blinded by reasons that Jesus never was concerned with. And God calls us outward. So here's what I want to do, want you to put on your out card is, who is it that God is calling me to love like Jesus loves? Who is it that all I can see is the list of things I count against them or others count against them and God is saying to me to walk into their life in love? So you've got three cards. One is, is up. What does it look like for me to give God, the most important places in my life and use them for worship. It's in, and we didn't fill that one out, but I would just invite you to say, I want, there are two people in, 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 this, in our church family that I'm going to actually show kindness to. And pick one that's kind of like you, maybe your same age group, but not the person that would normally expect you to show kindness to them, but pick a person in your life. You say, I'm going to show kindness to this person. And then pick a someone someone completely not like you in our church family. And it might even be a category. Say, I'm going to show kindness to that person. For those of you older adults, pick a kid around here and say, I'm going to just sneak up and surprise them by being unexpectedly kind and encouraging to them, by noticing them in the hallways and saying something about it. Those of you that are young people, pick one of the gray hairs around here. Uh, that's, that's me. Pick a gray hair and say, I'm going to figure out a way to show kindness to them so that we can actually be a family. That's the up and then the in and then the out and pick somebody in your life that would be surprised by the grace of God and then demonstrate it. You know what will happen? We will actually be the church that God has called us to be. We will be the church that God has called us to be and we will be able to say, so from now on, Hillcrest was characterized in new ways by devotion to God, by compassion for one another, and by passion for the world that God wants to reconcile to himself. I'll tell you just a quick question, a quick story of the way I saw these pieces come together in the life of my oldest daughter. Actually, she was in high school and she was a part of a group 
And they had done a fundraiser, and part of the group was just to be show acts of kindness to people in, in their school. And she was at Blue Valley uh, Northwest High School. And uh, they decided for Valentine's Day to sell roses and then invite people to give them to people in the, in the, in the school or take them home and just give them to people, just show, you know, you matter. I, I, I noticed you, and, and uh, you're, you're important to people. You might not even know it, to be able to do that. And so our oldest daughter picked a bunch of them, and she was thinking about what she would do with them. And I didn't really even hear the story until afterwards. Um, and here's how, here's how I heard it. I got a text message, and my daughter says to me, I've been invited to prom. And I didn't know she had a guy that she was particularly interested in. And I said, well, that sounds great. Is it great? She says, yeah. I says, is it, is it uh, you know, are, are you excited about it? She says, well, it's a long story. And um, I got home and she told the whole family what had transpired that day. You see, there was a guy at the high school that uh, was kind of, no, he was absolutely on the fringes of of any group of people. He was, he was an unusual guy. He was, he, you know, people just, if, if you wanted to be connected with cool people, you wouldn't pick this guy. And he was hard to figure out. And it turned out that um, Kate just prayed about, God, what is it you want me to do? How, who, who do you want me to show a compassion to? And um, this guy came to her mind. So, she had actually, a couple weeks before that, given him a rose. And she says, you know, people notice you around here. You matter. He, he walked up and down the halls of Blue Valley Northwest High School and said, Kate gave me a rose. Kate Severson gave me a rose. And it wasn't a couple weeks later, months before, well, a long time before prom, that he figures he knows who he's going to ask to prom. And Kate's telling us a story. And she's got girlfriends in her life that are calling her to follow Jesus and act like Jesus, just, just prodding her on to, let's all be like Jesus together. And so when this young man came up and asked her to go to prom, she said, the answer was, yes, of course I will. Her younger sister says, you said what? You know, that is the least strategically cool thing you could ever do, Kate. And I'm your sister. I'm moving out. She didn't say that, but there was that piece of it. And you know what? Kate and this guy and a couple of other friends, they went to prom together, and they had the time of their life. Kate still hangs out with them comes back to town every once in a while and they just get together and they share stories and they laugh about how much fun they've had and how connected they are. And you know, there was a teacher in the Blue Valley School District that was so concerned about this young man and the trajectory of his life because he was getting increasingly disconnected from anybody else and no one saw him who said that season of his life changed the trajectory of his life. That simple. Hear from God, encouraged by Christ followers, expressing the kindness and the compassion and the passion for everybody else in the world. And 
the church grows by simple decisions like that. So what will it be like for us to give attention to what it means to be devoted to God and let God stir our heart and give praise for who he is? To be connected to each other in relationships of frankness and candor and encouragement and, and love and unity. And then to be reaching out and in simple ways, just being like Jesus. That's what he's called us to.